Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. This episode of Insider's Guide to Energy EV miniseries is powered by Power. Power helps your business transition to electric vehicles by simplifying charging, managing payments, and optimizing your charging data. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy EV miniseries. I'm here with Neil Rodell. Neil, welcome back to the series. What are we going to talk about today? Hey, Chris. Um, we're talking about a really interesting topic. This is the important bit where the energy system, the electricity grid, meets the infrastructure that actually enables us to charge our vehicles. So we're going to be diving a bit into what the implications are of putting these new assets, energy charging stations onto the edge of the grid, what it means today and what it means in the future. Well, I am super excited about the topic. Uh, Let's bring our guest on and find out more. Yeah, cool. So we're introducing John Glassmeyer from Hitachi. It's one of the world's mega co's. And John's hopefully going to be telling us a bit more about what he does, where he's come from and how he got into the role he does today. So welcome, John. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Neil. I'm I'm thrilled to be here today. Um, so I guess I'll I'll lead off with the the introduction you asked for. So uh, I've been working in energy systems for about 15 years now. So a, a little bit of experience under my belt, um, and I've done it from a range of perspectives. I've done I've I've worked on big centralized power plants as well as on the full other side of the meter. Um, I've done a bunch. I've had a bunch of experience working on energy efficiency and um, enabling. More more recently, and by more recently, I'd say the past decade, I've been focused on microgrid technologies. Um, you know, part of the grid edge solution set of uh, technologies that you referred to, really helping people to understand what is this technology, how do you use decentralized technologies like this to overcome obstacles be they financial physical um electrical what what have you and how do you think critically how do you electrify everything and how do you run those electrified things on renewables that's a brilliant way to start isn't it because electrification is clearly one of the big things we need to do to tackle climate change and electrifying transport is a huge part of what we talk about so where do you where, where does your role connect with the transport ecosystem? Uh, what is it that you do that supports the electrification of our vehicles on the roads today? So I, I've I've actually recently moved into an, an, a new role. I'm a global product manager for e-mobility for the Hitachi Energy Grid Edge Solutions Technology Portfolio. Um, and so in that in that role, it's it's exactly what we're talking about. It's taking all of these decentralized technologies, be it battery energy storage systems. Um, solar photovoltaics, solar PV, uh, all the smart automation and optimization and management of those so that you can have the energy available at the cost and the, renew- the, the sort of cleanliness, sustainability that you'd like to run 
your EV fleet or clusters of electric vehicles. Yes. And, and, and being that you work for Hitachi, Hitachi is a true global corporation. What, what, what does global look like to you guys? I mean, where, where in the world do you operate? How many people have you got? You know, what, what are your interests in, in a global sense? So, so um, I'm, I, I referred to this a little bit. I'm, I'm part of Hitachi Energy, which is, oh, on a, on a people's basis, maybe 10%, I think, roughly, of the, the Hitachi global corporate group. Um, Hitachi is, of course, headquartered in Tokyo, um, and Hitachi Energy is headquartered in Switzerland. Um, and in terms of our Grid Edge Solutions portfolio, uh, I think a really interesting stat is we've been we've been doing Grid Edge Solutions for about 30 years in this space, um, and we have installations on every continent on Earth, including Antarctica, um, which is, I think, pretty pretty impressive for for um, our legacy. Uh, we've we've deployed more than 250 projects. Um, deploying microgrid and, and distributed solutions to solve energy challenges. And we're bringing to bear that experience into the e-mobility world. Um, when you bring it to bear in the e-mobility world, what kind of things are you involved in today? Yeah, so the uh, look, the, I, th- I think it's really important to characterize what an EV charger is. Um, so you look at an electric vehicle, and I think a lot of us will immediately think about it as a way to get around, right? It's, it's, it's moving us, it's moving goods, it's moving things anywhere you'd like to go. And as we electrify those and connect them up to the grid, they become two new things to the grid. They become a new critical load because it's really important that we can move goods around. But from the energy management perspective, they also become a distributed energy resource. So when they're connected up, they are part of a microgrid or part of a grid edge ecosystem. Um, And there's a whole bunch of interesting value that you can bring out by putting that together with decentralized solutions and grid edge solutions. And And I I hope we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. When you say they are a part of a distributed ecosystem, architecture or they're at the edge are are they today or is that where we're going to go because is the software in place to do that today i mean you know some of the larger uh, oems just enable two-way battery connectivity to their vehicles right so that's becoming mainstream i don't know if that's mainstream across all the oems today so is this is this a dream or is this a reality so it's i i think a lot of people have been thinking sort of about that first stage of just getting the electric vehicle and getting it connected up to the utility so they can charge it. Um, that's sort of where things have been over the past five to 10 years, probably. Uh, but there are several deployments, lots of deployments where these are distributed energy resources. And you, I think let's unpack what, what we mean by distributed energy resource in the context of an EV charging infrastructure or EV supply equipment. So the you you touched on one this this vehicle to grid or what can be broadly part of a, a V2X, vehicle to whatever, you know, vehicle to home, vehicle to business, um, you know, a bunch of different ve- just vehicle as a battery, right? Um, and that that's that's certainly one element where you're you know, we're we're looking into the future about pulling power 
out of those vehicles. We, we do have some pilots where we've done that. So I can circle back to that. But I, I think when we talk about today in sort of rubber meets the road, to use a nice driving analogy here, it, they, they can be DERs today because the, the, the real need is to start having lots of power being drawn through these EV chargers. And, and when there's a lot of power being pulled through them, that starts to bump up against some of the way our grid is constructed. It can start to hit constraints and it can start to affect the cost. Um, and so with that, what, what I mean today is as a DER, it's, it's really strategically choosing when to charge those vehicles. And there's a whole bunch of interesting things you can do when you automate it together with other distributed energy resources and, and optimize those. Um, and, and the real, I think if, if I think about what, what does that mean, it means using this, what amounts to software and hardware type solutions, you know, automation packages to time when you get that power so that it aligns with, if you, if you co-locate it with, with say solar, solar generation, solar photovoltaics, it lines up with the, the, the rising and setting of the sun. Um, it, it, it lines up with the passing of clouds. Um, there's, there's also a need to line up with what the grid can supply you. So when we start, say, putting a lot of electric vehicles, which we're, we're starting to see this in, in urban areas that are already congested, there's a limitation to the amount of power you can pull in in many of our grids globally. This helps to overcome that challenge. Um, or on, on the, the far extreme in the rural areas, when we start to get more electric vehicles in rural areas, those lines may not be adequately sized to provide that power. And so with grid edge solutions, you can bolster and stabilize that network while allowing you to power your critical load of, of mobility and EVs. And, and for me, that rural element is really interesting because like you say, the, you know, th- th- these are vehicles, they move around coordinating where they are and when they move around, and particularly when they go to locations which they didn't used to go to, you know, we, we're going to put energy loads into areas that didn't used to have them. Uh, in the UK, we see that on motorway service areas. Do you see similar effects? And what do you do when you see that happen? Look, um, I, I think that if we don't know a vehicle's coming, that's that's a certain set of challenges you want to be ready for. You know, you need to have the grid flexible for that. And that that's really where... That's one of the great use cases for stationary energy storage, you know, typically a, a battery energy storage system or, or a BESS. Um, and if, if you have that there, that de-risks some of these challenges of having a vehicle show up where you didn't expect it. Um, you know, I think if we want to be a, a little more forward looking, we can also start talking about things like um, – artificial intelligence to try and do some of those predictions and things like that. It's also part of the conversation. But I, I think fundamentally, if, if you're going to start having vehicles show up in places where we didn't plan to have electricity there, you're definitely going to want a battery energy storage system there. Um, you'll, you'll definitely want to consider bringing in some solar to, to supplement it. I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting turn, turn of things. You, you might want to put solar there to try and bolster your reliability. Um, with with when you pair that with a best you can start ensuring that you have energy on demand for your vehicles when you want to want to charge them 
So those battery plus solar loads start to address some of the really niche uh, rural locations, but the urban locations tend to be hyper-congested with electrical supply and therefore difficult to get stuff into. What's your bigger problem, the urban areas or the rural areas? Well, uh, I think it's going to depend on who we're, who you are and where you're trying to put this. Um, so, you know, if we look country by country, different, different countries will have different ways they've configured their grids. Um, so in a rural areas, if, if you're a rurally concentrated part of the, the country, you'll have what's known as radial feeders, where you're going to essentially try to bolster the supply that way. But if you're in a lot of the urban areas, you know, you're, you're thinking about it from the, um, the, the, the question that is, is asked sort of frames it around the EV chargers, but the EVs become part of the network. And the network in many urban areas doesn't have room to bring in new power. You know, a lot of what we're traditionally thinking for bringing in the power that these need is by upgrading the, the substation and upgrading the transmission and distribution wires. So what, what sort of gets classed into, um, when you contextualize this in the, in the grid edge space, you'd address that either by upgrading those or with what we call a, a non-wires solution or non-wires alternative. And that that's really, you know, in urban areas, I see this becoming critically important where let's say you're a utility and you are worried about new customers coming into your service territory, let alone those new customers bringing all this new electrified load. Um, these sorts of technologies in urban areas can address those constraints. They give you a new tool in the tool chest to try and ensure that we have power there to run our society, right? Like that energy is the lifeblood of society. And this, as we electrify things, we're, we're allowing electricity to um, come and serve some of these new areas. And it's, it's a whole opportunity of pushing us out into using these technologies and doing it in a smarter, more automated way. John, John, we've been talking a lot of different things. I think that's interesting is both Neil and I are in Europe and you're in North America. So I, I perceive being American and sitting in Europe right now that, that EVs are maybe going a little faster here percentage-wise. What's what's happening in North America and, and how are you planning for the growth? Is, is the IRA pushing that faster in North America or, or is there other legislation that's driving that? I mean, I've, I've heard California is going to have electric trucks possibly and some other things happening. Um, what's, what's driving the growth and how fast is it coming? So th there's a, a lot of factors driving growth on, on this. I think um, fu fundamentally globally, I think it's important to say that supply chains of electric vehicles are starting to expand, right? So there, you have that under undercurrent that's a global f phenomenon. Um, if we want to focus on, on North America, uh, that there's been a lot of new policy. You, you referred to the IRA or the Inflation Reduction Act. That's an incredibly important piece of legislation at the, at the federal level in the United States, um, because that has expanded the, um, the credits available for electric vehicles, while also expanding the applicability for um, certain technologies that are enabling this. So, for for example, in my Grid Edge Solutions portfolio, it's it's allowed us to apl apply incentives to battery energy storage systems in unique ways. It's opening up um, who can access it and how they can get access to some of that money. Um, you know, and and you're also 
remiss if you're talking about federal legislation to not talk about the IIJA or bipartisan infrastructure. Um, gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting what the JA stands for, but um, you know, the bipartisan act that was passed a couple, a couple years ago. And it, it also set the stage for a whole bunch of funding around just broad us infrastructure that that's tapping into this. Um, there's also b- between those, they set the stage for what's known as NEVI, um, which is rolling out to the states and every single state is trying to allocate it in their own special way for opening up funding to enable um, electrification along highways and along major routes. And that's, that's a really, uh, that, that sort of process is ongoing. And since there are, you know, 50 states across the United States, just, I'd say our states are somewhat analogous to the member states of the EU at this point. You know, not not a perfect analogy, but you know, you, you have that independent decision making at each state that's sort of federated through the federal government, and that decision making is rolling out. And you have states where they're being really aggressive about setting some of the um, providing incentives as well as setting targets around electrification of vehicles. So California is a clear one that jumps out. They're definitely putting in a lot of legislation. They've set some standards around um, mandating when electric vehicles shall be sold across different sectors. I think they just announced, I believe they just announced one on, on um, heavy duty vehicles a few, a few weeks ago. It's not just the um, light, light duty vehicles. So that's going to have an impact. You have, you know, each and each state is looking at that. So, you know, Washington state where I, I live in Seattle, um, Washington state, they've been sort of looking at the California legislation and that that's rolling out into the state and sort of, feeding out from one state who tries something and then other states will pick it up or not. And I, you know, this one, I guess one of the nice things about it is you end up with a whole bunch of different, you know, 50 different laboratories to try out different policy, but the challenge with it is then it's 50 different <laughs> areas where they're trying out policy. Um, and you know, that the, they only come together when it affects sort of between the states. So you have some, some jurisdictional elements related to that. And it can get be quite a complex topic that's probably beyond the scope of a, a, a podcast like this. But it's really interesting, I think, to set the stage and sort of understand that. And the, the broad sort of summary of it, or if, if you know too long didn't read or didn't want to listen, is EVs are coming. The US and states are all incentivizing them. There's bipartisan support for this. And um, we we need to get ready for it. Um, but I guess that's the question, and, right? So it, the question yeah. wasn't, you know, I, I guess yes, the EVs are either a leader or a lagger, but the infrastructure. So if, if our conversation is about grid edge and the grid being ready, right? Um, what what I wonder is, you know, if you looked at how highways were built, national highway bills, and in work efforts in the past, now suddenly I've got to build all this infrastructure perhaps in locations that doesn't exist along highways, perhaps if, if you believe that's where you charge, or perhaps you believe I'm going to charge at night at home or, or my model's antiquated and I don't understand where charging is going to take place, which you can tell me. Um, how are we getting prepared? So, you know, the funding that I would say with the IRA is, is there infrastructure going into the utilities or are there startups or microgrids or, or all the above that are, are hoping to capitalize on this? I mean, from from a just conceptual per perspective, if if you think about this from the grid perspective, that the 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 major stakeholders involved in the grid are very excited about this. 
this the big change with with this is there's now new energy that will start flowing through the wires and flowing through the system right flowing through the grid that that's in contrast to sort of the trend of the past 40 years where it's been a lot of reduce the energy you're using there's been a lot of focus on energy efficiency demand management and things like that and so this is sort of a bit, a bit of a change in in that and it I think it's important to understand that because the utilities themselves, a lot of the stakeholders, they're pretty excited about this, right? Because it means new business and new revenue that's going to come through. So that's that's sort of a, a uh, an inflection point that's really interesting, and it's it's novel territory for all of us. But the key thing is that everyone seems to want to see this happen. So we're all working to try and make make that. Now, from a, a I just want to add that context because it's one of those subtle nuances that can get lost in a conversation like this, right? That that everybody wants to see it happen. So that that's a really important element of this. Um, but the you know if you want to talk about challenges, this is new territory. So we're going to be trying a lot of different things to make this work. Um, and I guess uh, you know if I if I pull back into my role is is thinking about it as a you know, a technology company, that's, that's what Hitachi is. We're getting the technology ready for that. You know, with, with, so within Hitachi Energy, we have, um, we sell a lot of the transformers. We sell a lot of the high voltage equipment that lets you move electricity across new distances. Um, that, that I think some of this will reframe some of that conversation about where are we putting some of the big transmission wires? I think it's going to push that forward in a way that it hasn't been pushed before. So that's one element. Um, and if I focus more on what I'm really knowledge about is grid edge stuff, this is a bleed off valve for where you have challenges, right? So if you're if you want to put vehicles where they haven't been before, we now have technology. This, this is really technology that's matured in the past decade, really. Um, and it's it's still evolving, but we have technology that lets you bring power in locally that you didn't. You don't have to transmit over long distances. That that sort of technology is available through the grid edge solution stuff, and that that recontextualizes some of this. It's going to start pushing. Um, I think it's an open question about who's going to operate the technology, right? So there's certainly you're going to have someone that wants to develop some EV infrastructure, like a developer or um, a fleet owner. They may say, "I'm, you know what, I." I don't think the I don't think I can get what I need from the utility, and I can go and I can build my infrastructure myself. That's a really exciting opportunity, right? Um, you know, I think a lot of people would prefer to have it come through the utility. The utilities are mobilizing to do this. They've been creating, you know, over the past decade, they've been creating different groups of, you know, it's called different things, but a lot of them are bundled under this grid modernization um, groups. All that are that are. If you look at a utility, these are these are cross-cutting groups that are helping them to mobilize to address this this looming opportunity, right? Um, so the I, I think the the key question is the technology's there. It's continuing to evolve. There's incentives in place. There's demand. I think this is going to happen. Um, I I don't think it's going to be without some some challenges, but. For me, thinking about it, the, the future is really bright, and there's a lot of opportunity um, to, to make this happen. 
So, John, you've got a very global role, and we kind of talked through a, a number of different perspectives here. I'm going to throw another country on the list. Um, there was a recent article by Electrek about the rate of uptake in China of electric vehicles, and they flagged that back in 2015, the rate of purchase of new vehicles in China was 0.84%, and at the same time in the US, it was 0.66%, which was well behind the 3% in California. And yet today, China sees 30% of new vehicles being sold electric. So what do you think the big roadblocks are? Are they policy, technology, or soft, squidgy humans who make buying decisions? I mean, I, I, I don't think you can get past humans. We're all humans. You have to, you have to start there. Um, you know, if, um, and, you know, the, the, the policy reflects some of the inertia we've had, right? So there's, there's the way things have been done. And this, this does require us to change how we've been doing. So those are both key interesting things to, to, to help um, move, move this forward. Uh, you know, but, you know, that, that, there's sort of a, there's a lot in your question, Niall, right? Like um, the, China itself, you know, I think something that you didn't mention is most of the EVs, I believe China has the largest share of EVs today. Um, so it's really interesting. And, and they have, you know, if you go and look at their charging infrastructure, they have distinct standards for how you charge the vehicles versus there's distinct standards in Europe and distinct standards in, in North America. Those are starting to converge. Um, but I think the, the, the EU and Europe, are, or excuse me, the EU and, and America are converging faster. So, John, one of the things I'm really curious about is what happens when you put really big sites together. Uh, one of my former projects I was involved in was the electrification of a bus depot. Big batteries, big chargers, all charging at exactly the same time overnight. Do you see these problems, and how do you tackle them? Yeah, the I mean, the, the really when you think about this, it's good to sort of you you, you laid out one use case, right? Where it's it's a it's a depot, um, and if it's something like buses or um, p- potentially a trucking fleet that's owned by a single entity, there, you have some pretty good insights into when those vehicles will be there, right? You're, you're going to have some scheduling that can feed in. And what you can do with a depot like that is, you know, that there's, a, there's a few questions, you know, do, do I have enough power that comes into my site? Okay. And then um, the, the things that will impact that are, I think you, you touched on this, when do I need to charge these vehicles? And this gets into the EV chargers as a distributed energy resource, because if they're plugged in and let's say, let's say it's the example of a bus, you have a a, a typical bus would operate all day and then come back at night. Right? So you plug in, let's say you have a whole depot filled with buses. You plug them all in at just, just the start of the evening. And you then have say, 10 to 12 hours to figure out how to stagger those. And you can limit the draw of power on the grid. You can also synchronize that with whatever on-site generation you might have and use, use a battery energy storage system in concert with that to make sure that it all operates together. So re- really what you, what you end up having in, in scenarios like that is a, is a new energy management opportunity, right? And you, what you want to do is you'd, You'd ideally like to have the you get the buses plugged in, um, however you like to do that, and then you manage the charge as part of a broader energy management solution. So the chargers are one part. You'd have other distributed energy resources 
like battery energy storage systems and solar. And then you'd have a set of rules which, with which you are allowed to purchase energy from the utility as well as some constraints on that and, and some pricing on that. And if you do this strategically, you can overcome certain grid constraints you might have had from your utility while also um, reducing the peak amount of power you have to pull in. Um, and and that, that becomes really important because um, with, with large energy users, they tend to get charged by the peak amount of power that they have to pull in from that utility. So if you can reduce that, that effectively reduces the fuel cost for powering all those vehicles. Um, so that's, that's one use case of, of you know, all these vehicles clustered together. But you also have use cases like, um, say, it's a, a, a charger where vehicles come and go as they please, right? Maybe public charging or something like that. And you can um, maybe have a little bit less insight about where they're, w- when you'll have vehicles there, but you can still control how fast you charge them and dispatch local resources to meet those the, those demands. You can, you know, based on the flow of the the, the energy coming from the the sun through your solar photovoltaic panels, you can pair that in with a battery to flatten things out and keep your costs manageable. Um, and if you if you're in those scenarios, you know that I, I think you sort of I sort of focused on this demand limiting, meaning ensuring you don't try to pull too much power or you don't pull more power than you'd like to pay for, you know, flatten that out. But with these types of technologies, you enter into a space of what we call the value stack. And so that's one of the values that you'd get out of trying to solve this energy management uh, challenge. But you can also stack that together with other things. Like you might, um, you might decide what you, you want to de-risk the utility having, uh, having an outage. And then by having a battery energy storage system there that's that's helping to flatten out the the loads you also have it there as a replacement for a backup generator or if you automate it to appropriately you can have it if there's a, a grid connection you can have your your fuel come directly from the sun through solar panels into your battery energy storage creating a, a long term you know ability to to have some resiliency and if you really want to have some extra resiliency you can pair that with a a backup generator of you know whatever traditional fuel you'd like to put in there or even decarbonized fuel um, and dispatch that in harmonization to add not just reliability, meaning addressing some of the short-term outages, but longer-term resiliency for, for say, say you'd like to have that fleet powered under the, the, the threat of, say, a, a tropical storm or a wildfire or something else that's a longer-term outage. So that's this reliability resiliency becomes part of your value stack. Um, and just while we're sort of talking about this use case, you know, you might you might have that battery energy storage sitting there to flatten things out and together with the solar offering reliability and resiliency. But you can also, um, you know, depending on market rules. So in, in the U.S., we have a market, a market rule called FERC Order 2222, that if you have 100 kilowatts of capacity or more, you can then take those assets and you're allowed to play in the market. And you can take those and make more money with them. So you can do some revenue. Revenue gathering, essentially, in the in the context of the Deep Depot perspective, it's a it's it's a cost reduction. Um, and then the final the final sort of key value stack is a lot of the organizations that that are wanting to run one of these depots have also have goals to to use more green energy. You can, you know, dependent on space available, you can ensure that you're running completely on renewables and and with. Um, Certain advanced battery energy storage systems. So I can I can speak to the power store that we offer 
here here through the grid edge solutions group it, it can um seamlessly island and while it's island it can run 100 percent on renewables um and that's a that's a bit of a technical challenge that um is enabled by some of the the, the new technology uh innovations but you can see how that fits into this value stack this picture of understanding that when you really start moving evs from one-offs to small applications start making it part of a bigger power user, a bigger a bigger part of the grid, a bigger distributed energy resource, you get a lot of opportunity from treating it like a DER um, and managing and serving that critical load in the right way, um, representing what it is. So, John, we talked a lot about all of these DERs, these vehicles, this infrastructure that's deployed all across the country, but this sounds like one massive orchestration problem. Who is it that's going to bring all this together and actually make it all work? So that's a that's actually a great question. I feel like I'm really well positioned to answer that in my in my new role. Um, so you know that I, I think the the key thing, the key challenges we're likely to face are going to be through getting the power out through the distribution system. Um, and so with a with a grid edge solution, what a grid edge solution includes it's a, it's a it's a portfolio of things. So you include the battery energy storage system, um, as well as you'll include an automation layer that includes um, optimization, automation, you know, control, as well as coordination of all these assets. So you, you really have in this automation layer, you'd have th- th- those different levels that you can then take up into the cloud um, through a digital layer. And, and the way we do that at Hitachi Energy, it's called our eMesh portfolio, um, which is a vertically integrated portfolio that we apply to harmonize and coordinate the operation of all of these things. So you you know this is part of the reason when we let off I said think about these as DERs because once they're a DER you can then leverage long history that's been doing it. You know we've been doing this type of stuff for 30 years. So you bring that in and when you apply a grid edge approach to it you can connect up all these different devices um, set up interfaces make sure that they can all talk together and once they're all talking together, you can control them. And then you can use a lot of smart analytics. You can use AI. You can use things like that to optimize them um, and address a lot of these challenges. So you suddenly got all of these assets under your control, and there's a central mind, a hive mind, controlling the way that they operate in dispatch. I presume this is all being optimized for cost or grid safety or frequency. What is it that drives the decision making around how these assets operate? So, I mean, the, that that's a great question. I don't I don't think there's one answer there. Um, what what drives it? Well, it depends on who owns it, right? Um, and d- different players in the utility space may have different opinions about what they should drive it. So, there's there say let's say you're a company that has an ESG goal. You might want to optimize the use of renewables rather than focus on, and that and that may indirectly affect your cost. You know, you may have an internal price of carbon that you can use to apply to that. And if you do that, you could also then reframe that into optimizing the renewables around a cost problem, right? So, um, I, I would say, you know, I always like to throw out that example. You can optimize how you want, but I'd say most most people are going to optimize on cost. Um, you know, total total cost is a is a, is a great thing to opt optimize around um, but but let's let's say you're in an area that's um, under under natural threat you know we're with climate change we're seeing a whole bunch of new threats that we haven't seen seen before with a with a whole increased level of frequency 
you might under certain situations want to optimize for hardening, right? You you know that a hurricane's coming. You'd like to go and say, I need to optimize my system so that I'm ready when this hurricane hits. You can go and um, re-optimize with a focus towards having all of those assets charged up or whatever defines hardening for you, but get them ready for that event to come um, so that you're ready to have your, you know, ready, ready to address those when that, that event happens. And we talked earlier a little bit about vehicle to grid. Can we double click on vehicle to grid, have a little bit of a deeper look? What do you guys do? What do you see? Where's this system going? Um, you know, I think we've all established it's really, really important that we can use all these assets, these batteries to do cool stuff. But what's it going to take to really make it mainstream? And where do you see that happening first? Yeah. And, you know, I, actually, something you, you said in there, I think is really interesting to make sure we're, we're, we're unpacking, make sure that's explicit. When you talk about the batteries, when, when I think about a grid edge and an EV intersection, I, there's, there's two sets of batteries. There's the stationary batteries, the battery energy storage systems. And then there's the mobile batteries, the ones that are on all of these vehicles that are moving around. Um, and I think today it's, it's, it's a lot more straightforward to unlock from an energy management perspective the, the energy in the, uh, in the battery energy storage system, because that's what that technology was designed to do. Whereas you get into the mobile space and we're, we're just starting to scratch the surface of that. So um, vehicle to grid is a great example of that. You know, there's a whole bunch of, I guess, business and technical challenges around that, code, code type challenges as well. Um, but the technology is there. We, we can do that today. And in, in fact, we do have a deployment of one of our microgrids in um, actually just north of me in Seattle. Um, it's in. It's actually in a, a, a town north of Seattle called Arlington, and it's the Arlington microgrid operated by um, Snowpud, and that that microgrid actually includes a V2G fleet um, that it dispatches, and that the vehicles, you know, in addition to being transportation for the for Snowpud's people to get around, it also serves as an energy asset. So when it's operating in uh, just normal blue sky operation those evs are plugged in they're providing services up into the grid to support the battery energy storage system that's also there and then if there's an issue or if for some reason snowpod just wants to take their grid and seamlessly island that off those uh the battery energy storage system will help them to seamlessly island so if you're there you won't see a blink but you actually become an independent energy supply that can still feed your evs still feed all your other local loads allow you to power that with solar power and the evs also play a role of supporting the battery energy storage system when you think about them as a as a, as a battery so that you know I, I think around b2g that that is here today at least in sort of the the, the pilot level I, i'm still i think we're all still waiting to see if it if it hits broader commercial rollout um, and there's a whole bunch of questions around that you know i don't think there's many commercial deployments of that today they're all sort of still in this pilot stage but at least from a technology perspective we've shown that you can do it we've shown that it works um it 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 then starts to get into is this something that that makes sense you know there's something to be said for you buy an ev and it it drives me around do do you want to try and deal with all the the issues of using that to provide these services it sort of becomes well how valuable are their services and what's what are the hurdles to me doing that so there's a bunch of things like like that that 
I, I think in the next maybe five to 10 years, we'll start seeing more vehicle to grid. Um, but, you know, also we're seeing some things, I think we talked about, you know, the V2X space, vehicle to homes a little bit, or, or just treating it as a battery. That's a pretty neat use case that, that sidesteps some of the, some of these, um, business and organizational challenges that can, that can stand in the way because, you know, it's, it's essentially that, that EV supplier is essentially providing that uniquely from them. So, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different questions around that. And, you know, when I think about applying it, this question in the, in the sort of high power space for serving commercial, industrial, large clusters of fleets, large, large things like that, large power loads, my focus is really on timing when you charge it um, so that it's coordinated and harmonized. And that's something that, that is commercial and we can do today. Um, and you'll, you'll make money doing it or, or at least reduce costs. How does that work? You, you talked about all the states being little islands, figuring things out. You're one large company, but you're still one company of many aspiring to take this market share and manage this process. So, so how does everyone play nice in the sandbox and we get to a ecosystem that works well for every EV bag I buy and whatever operator I have and whatever city I happen to live in? How, how, how does that all come to fruition? That's, that's a really great question. There's a couple factors at play. So first I'll say, I'll, I'll talk about it from, from, from my perspective. It's a, as Hitachi, what we want to do is we want to tie everything together. We, we don't mind where you get your technology from. We just want to make sure that it works and is optimized well, right? So that there's an element of, I, I think this is the spirit of, of coming to this in good faith to make sure that we play nice with each other. So I'll say that we will play nice with you. Please come play with us first. Um, and then there's also an element of just think about the EV boom that is coming. There is, I think globally, not yet enough people working on this. So I sort of want to put out a call to a call to people to come join us. We want to play with you. Please come join us because there's more than enough work to go around. Um, the, 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 the challenge I think is we do need to come with this with a spirit of working together. Um, there's a whole bunch of learning that as an industry we've been taking to heart. I mean, one, one great example is you look at, the sort of somewhat divided charging systems that that are happening around the sort of level one, level two chargers, the CCS combined charging. You've got the the Chatamo. You've got um, the, the all all these different ecosystems. They're starting to converge, but they're still converging. Versus when we get into powering bigger vehicles, sort of megawatt level, we have a, a unified standard, MCS megawatt charging standard that's developing so the industry is learning and we're you know we're we're part of those efforts to try and bring that together um but it's it's really um i frankly don't think we have a choice but to play nice together as as an industry because this that's that's a necessary requirement this is an all hands on deck type call to call to call to get into it and you know i i hope that all of the, the different organizations that we can work with will come at it in the same spirit that we do of, of, you know, focusing on solving that challenge. So megawatt charging, that sounds pretty awesome. Uh, let's be honest, that's something that me as a normal person driving a passenger car is highly unlikely to see that often. This is really trucks, isn't it? This is trucks, heavy goods, 
how's that going to happen? Are we going to see, you know, public chargers alongside megawatt charging chargers? Or are we going to see something completely different emerge, a new, a new uh, sort of corridor for trucking and uh, for heavier goods vehicles? How do you see that happening? Well, I mean, uh, I think, look, building right of ways is a challenge, right? So you, you've got, you've got the challenge from the electrical side, you know, putting the wires in place. You got the challenge from the transportation side, putting in highways and things. So I have to imagine these will have to coexist on some level. Um, the, the, these future questions, you know, I, I think it's also worth noting that I don't think anyone has the answer and I don't think there's going to be a one size fits all for everybody, but, um, you know, you, you can apply some of, some of just thinking about it and, and, and making some pretty educated guesses about it. Um, so your to your question about megawatt, I think, yeah, if you're driving a light duty passenger vehicle, so that would be most of what people are thinking about when they think about EVs. Um, yeah, that that's probably not going to be what you're you're looking at. That would that would be too much power for you. But we're not just thinking about electrifying those. We're thinking about electrifying entire industries. We're thinking about electrifying mines. We're thinking about electrifying transit systems, be they water, air, land, and those types of systems to to stay on time will need high amounts of power dumped into them. That's really what what we're thinking about with this megawatt charging. And it's a really, really exciting space that's growing even faster than than EVs on the on their own, right? Like you sort of have these trends and we're going to see what happens. And, and the, in, the interesting thing from an energy perspective, I think we're probably likely to see more energy start to flow into these large clusters of users rather than just these distributed small passenger vehicles. So that really does start pushing this more and more into the, you know, tying this into the grid and the future of the grid being tied up with this. Um, and so that, uh, you know, that I, it's just really a, a great time to be seeing all this stuff coming. I'm just so excited about it. And I start getting, you know, goosebumps when I talk about it. I hope, I hope that's coming through um, because the, there, there's just these two trends. You know, the reason I came into the energy industry was to shepherd forward cleaner energy, more reliable energy. But now we're starting to actually electrify things and starting to really cut into some of these previously untouchable areas from a carbon perspective. And it's starting to become economic to do so. Um, so it's a really neat space and it's just, it's going to keep growing. So I, I'm super, I see the passion. I, I, I love what I'm seeing coming through. Um, you know, Neil's question, getting excited about, you know, the, the huge scale or the, 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 the power. Um, the one area that still I question and is things like airports in, in places where, so I, I, you know, easy enough to anticipate my fleet coming in and scheduling when it's going to be there. But, you know, for example, we're recording this right before Easter holiday, right? And so if I go to just about any airport, probably a peak parking demand going on. And, and you know, imagine, you know, 30, 40% of our cars are EVs and I like to have them charged when I come back and have it sit in their charge. How does that work? And, and, and is that an infrastructure problem that you guys are looking at the edge of the grid and, and, and doing? Or is that just become a microgrid of itself and do something just at the airport? Like, how, how is that problem getting solved or will it get solved? Yeah, I mean, in airports are really inter- interesting, just concentration of newly loads that we can electrify, right? Um, so, you know, you immediately think about, well, you can electrify the planes. I think that's probably a little further off, but I definitely have seen some some 
Um, there's never really a lot of interest in that. Um, but the vehicles themselves, you know, as a as a passenger coming in, you know, you you ideally might take some public transit, so you'd have those buses that get um, says the guy from the West Coast. top up there. What's that? Says the guy from the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or to you in Europe. I mean, come on. <laughs> and um, but but still, I think we're gonna. Airports do tend to be concentrated in metro areas, so they'll likely have access to a bus that goes out there that'll need to be charged. They might have a rail that is already electric or being electrified. Um, you'll have passenger vehicles coming in that can be charged. And look, the technology is there to solve this challenge. It's just a question about when do we, when when do we have enough people that have bought EVs, and when do you know the decision makers for airports decide they're ready to electrify because we. We're sitting here. Oh, I dropped my ear thing. Hold on, let me put that back in. We're we're here working on improving our technology, and it's ready um, to to roll out to solve these challenges. But we need we need uh, policy to drive it. We need uh, stakeholders to decide they're going to do it. And you know, it's I think that is something that's ad- addressable today, particularly from the passenger vehicle side, the the transit side for for coming up. And also all the little um, units that are out shuttling around baggage and all that, that can all be electrified too. Um, And it's just an investment and willingness question. Cool. So we're getting to that point where I get to ask my really interesting question, which is what's your view on the future? What do you want to see happening? Where's this space going? What are the cool things that we should be aware of? Yeah, I mean – for, for me, I, I like what drives me is I think about the big the big picture a little bit. Um, I always sort of dive down into the details. I think it's important to to move things forward at the detail level, but you have to have a broader vision that drives you. Um, and you know, if you my my vision aligns a lot with what Hitachi Energy's vision is of we are going to electrify everything. We are going to decarbonize everything by putting in renewables everywhere, and those together. Are going to transform how we move about, how we get our energy, how we use that energy. It's it's going to fundamentally transform things because electricity truly is the lifeblood of a modern lifestyle, right? Like I, I always come back to anytime I talk about this, I, I always like to point out that electricity has been the indicator. It's the lifeblood of what drives our modern lifestyles today. And we're going to revolutionize that. We're finally going to decarbonize it and we're going to electrify more. So I think that's what's, what's, what's going to happen. And we're on, I think if we, if we sort of scale back from that broader, you know, 30 to 100 year vision, today we've hit an inflection point. This, this is a turning point. We are, for example, in, in the US, we produced more energy from renewables than we did from coal last year. That's incredible. That that is such a transformation from from even a decade ago. Um, and we're we're going to see similar transformations happening on the electrification side as as this sort of exciting path rolls out. So the future's bright. This is awesome. So John, you've taken us on a journey that's taken us through grid edge, uh, vehicle to grid, some of the sort of geopolitical global questions that you get to look at in your role, Europe and North America. Uh, We've touched on depots and fleets and uh, vehicle to grid twice we went into, uh, megawatt charging, 
What's your personal experience with driving electric vehicles? What's your view on EVs that are on the road today? So I, I really like electric vehicles. I, I think when I think about an electric vehicle, the first thing I think about is the driving experience. It is such a fundamentally different experience from driving an internal combustion car. So, you know, if you're driving in, in traffic and let's say, let's say, so I've lived in a lot of urban areas. I've lived in Houston. I've, I've driven in Atlanta and you might have someone who's trying to box you out. If you know that experience, if you're driving an EV, you can zip around them. No, no problem. It's, it's a lot like just that raw power of you push the pedal and you slide back in your seat. Um, that's a pretty neat experience. So I like, I like EVs and, and I, essentially expect that every vehicle that I buy from here on out is going to be electric. That's, that's it. My next car is going to be electric. The one after that, the one after that. Well, awesome. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, the EV miniseries, helping share your views, a little bit of uh, what Hitachi's doing. Thank you so much for being our guest today, John. It's, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate the time and glad to speak with you both. For our audience, we we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the EV miniseries. We have lots of content still to come. Uh, if you're just joining us, go back and listen to the earlier episodes of the EV miniseries. Follow it, like us, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on YouTube, and we'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye.